The views and opinions expressed on this platform are of me, myself, and I, not any agency I'm affiliated with. So please do not take what I say personally. So if nothing else, this is going to be an episode for me. I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to be raw and open about things. Um, starting off, before I even get into the nitty gritty of this episode, I deal so heavily with imposter syndrome. And being so new still in EMS and as a paramedic, just finding confidence in my ability to practice and be a provider, it, it all feeds into this imposter syndrome and feeling like, yeah, you don't feel like you know what you're doing because you don't and you don't belong here. But like knowing that humbly stating, like, I know what I'm doing. I just have a ways to go. And truthfully, it's not the worst thing because it pushes me to study more, be more proficient, make sure I'm getting follow up on patients. And like just overall, it's my motivating factor. But as much as I can see my own growth and the small ways I've improved, and even though I really do love this job, it doesn't mean that when I wake up for work, like I'm jumping out of the bed and I'm running out the door as quick as I can so I can get to shift. Some days I'm dragging. I'm just going to be honest. Some days I'm running late because I lay in the bed a little while longer, hoping that I can just close my eyes and pretend I don't have to go to that shift. And somehow like this dream will become a reality. And is all of this because I'm tired? Sure. Is all of this because of a lot of outside factors? Yeah, why not? In truth, it's seeing that EMS is more than just cheesy phrases like, I chase the reaper, or driving with lights and sirens, or, I mean, whoever likes this kind of stuff. Being able to hear people say like, wow, you save lives. Yeah, this job is awesome. And some shifts, we don't even get a call that requires life-saving skills more than just being able to take someone with the flu or a tummy ache to the hospital. Most of us have joined EMS for the patient care aspect and realizing that in nursing, no offense, again, I can never be a nurse, full respect. In nursing, you have to wait and call orders for everything. I've talked before about burnt EMTs and burnt medics and, you know, just in a negative connotation, but I truly believe at the core, we all deal with burnout in one aspect or another. For me, my burnout is just repeating cycles of loving this job, hating it, loving it, hating it, then coupled with like, you know, the trauma and tiring aspects of this job. And here's the thing, it's not subject to just one level of provider in the first responder field. I have seen it in firsthand experienced, but going from EMT to paramedic won't save you from burnout. And going from being a paramedic to being a flight medic will not save you from burnout. Even if you are going through burnout, it doesn't mean you're not made to last in this field or that once you get burnout, you have to stay in that rut or that you'll never get out of it. Like it's, it can be improved and it can be worked on. This job isn't the same every shift or even from patient to patient. And this is including some shifts where we're, what we're able to do is not utilized and we're, not, we're doing nothing more than just pressing a gas pedal and pushing some buttons and we document things in a report that honestly is going to take longer to complete than the actual time we were even with the patient. Do we save lives? Yes. Do we have the tools to save a life with just a small fraction of the staff of an ER or an even smaller amount of tools and tricks and adding in the uncontrolled environment? Absolutely. Is this practiced every single shift? No. 
And even as I plan out what I'm going to say in this episode, I ask myself, so are you going to keep complaining about all of this or are you going to do something about it? Are you finding only problems? Are you searching for solutions? Like, yes, there, there are plenty of pros of this job, but I mean, the cons also weigh on you. For instance, the pay. And it has gotten a lot better over the years. I'm, I will say that, but it's still like some shifts. It just, it's not, it doesn't feel like it's enough. One con, and it, it kind of depends on the system you work in, but the posting throughout the day or for hours at a time, driving back and forth between designated posts. And as my brother said, so y'all just drive around and park and stake out for when someone calls 911. Like, yeah, that's pretty much it. I would be amiss to not mention this. Another con is the nursing homes, and I'm not going to get too deep into this. But it's hard seeing how some, not all, some of the nursing homes and assisted living centers treat these patients. Or they call us because the patient, quote, isn't acting right. But we get to the bottom of it. It's their baseline normal behavior. They just have dementia or Alzheimer's, whatever it is. But someone's determined that this person should go sit by themselves in an ER room for hours. And they just pawn off an entire human being to another facility. Or like a call I was on, when they say, we just checked on them, and it's obvious the guy's been dead for hours. Or when you get to the facility and they tell you whatever happened, like, you know, someone fell or someone's possibly having a stroke or it's chest pain, whatever it is. But then when you ask about the patient's medical history or medications they take, or if this is even how the patient normally acts, they, quote, don't know, or they say, it's not my patient. And, and you can't ask them to go find the CNA or the nurse who knows this patient because they'll go look for someone, but they won't come back. Or you get there and they just shove like the little packet with all the patient's information. And when you ask like, so what are we doing here? They say, I don't know. Or I've even gone to nursing homes and literally get there. We are called like they had to call 911. We get there and they tell us, oh, we didn't know anyone called y'all. But it's like, I, I looked at the, the head charge nurse, whoever, and I looked at her, I was like, I, I don't understand. Like, how do we know that we were called and y'all don't? Like, it's your entire patient and they're having a breathing issue. I feel like somebody should know this. Straight up, I've had someone at a nursing home at three o'clock in the morning tell me they, quote, didn't know what was going on with the patient because it was something that the day shift said, but they, quote, just got here, end quotes. I looked at her and said, ma'am, it's three o'clock in the morning. You did not just clock in. And no, she didn't just clock in. And just, I'm just keeping it real on this episode. Another con is some of the patients. Not all, obviously, but some of them. Like the ones that you know their address by heart and you know their name as soon as you hear the address. And you can recite their medical history, names of medications, and probably even their date of birth or the doctors that they go to. You can recite all of that patient's information better than the family can because you've had so much contact with this one patient. And yes, I hate it that sometimes it's because they're lonely or because they they have that many medical issues they need to be seen, whatever. I hate that, but but it, it's not even just these common patients or as we call them, frequent flyers. It's the ones who like oversell their problem and go into theatrics to, I, I guess, convince us they need an ambulance. Like, like, no, you don't have to do that. If you call for stomach pain, you can be super chill and have stomach pain like you were when we first got there. 
without making the faces and watching to see when we're looking at you and then you make noises like you're in pain or whatever just because we looked at you like you don't have to do that you call for stomach pain we'll take you even if you can't walk to the stretcher and for me it's hard when we know that this patient called because most of the times they tell us in the idea that if they go to the ER by ambulance it means that they'll get seen faster and this ain't it that's not how it works this is not, it's not an EMS thing. It is literally the ER. And we know that there's a 99% chance that we're going to have to tell them that they're getting put in triage. And honestly, sometimes it's hard not to call ahead to the ER and be like, hey, this is a triage alert. I'm not saying I do that, but, and it's, it's hard not to look at some people and say like, I'm sorry, you can drive to the ER by yourself. Like you, you should take yourself and not spend buku amounts of money on this ambulance bill. And like some patients, like like my mom still doesn't believe me when I tell her that some people fake seizures to get meds. Like that's, that's how, it, and it's just, it gets old. But on the idea of patients who don't need an ambulance to call us anyways, there are some medics who, I'm, I mean, like myself at times, just being honest, they're so burnt and I've been there who all but insinuate to the patient that they don't need an ambulance. And honestly, this is a trash way to treat a patient. And yes, I'm talking to myself right now. It's our job to respond to any and everything. Like, I personally believe it's not the worst thing to imply that the patient is not having a life-threatening emergency and give them the option that you can go to urgent care or follow up with your primary care physician tomorrow. On the flip side, you're already there with that patient. You can't change that. You got called to that. You're there. That's how it works. All you have to do is just be a good patient advocate, do your job, and if it's applicable, let the patient decide. Even on patients who are saying that they don't want to go to the hospital, don't just be a trash provider and be lazy and get a refusal because sometimes these patients are the ones who are scared and need to be educated on why their illness or whatever the incident is, why it's serious enough that they need to go get checked out. So if we take the frequent flyer who cried wolf mentality into our job, into this field, we risk the death of another human being. Like, yeah, they're calling again for chest pain for the third time in two weeks, but this could be the time when it's an MI or it's an NSTEMI. This could be the call that even though it's the same one, the same chief complaint, whatever, this could be the call where their life is on the line. I listened to a podcast and they talked about how these frequent flyers collect paramedic patches because the medic will get complacent, won't do some of the patient assessment and or workup. And the next thing they see is that the patient coded five minutes before they even got to the ER. And no matter who calls us for any incident, whether it's a paper cut or they're stuck in a car and they're unconscious after a huge wreck or if their heart stopped, every one of these people deserve the same amount of compassion, care, and the best of our training that we can provide. Whether it's empathy or it's a breathing tube where we breathe for them or medications that just calm them down, each one of those is important. And honestly, the best calls I've had weren't even with a ROSC, like the person comes back after a cardiac arrest. Or flying out patients after a four-car pileup where I'm wiping blood off my pants on the next call where I finally noticed it. It was the one where me and the guy that I was working with, we took the time to tell this lady that even though these various doctors that she had all, she had gone to all of them, they all prescribed her some different medications. She should not be taking 16 plus medications. And I wish I was joking. And that she was so shaky from throwing up all day because she had just changed another medication. And then my partner and I, we went to the gas station next door. We got her some Gatorades. And we showed her husband how to call her doctor's office the next day to set up an appointment because she didn't want to go to the hospital with us. Like, 
stuff like that in context, it makes sense. It works. It's fine. But we didn't restart this woman's heart. We didn't even start an IV. We didn't. It was just that simple, patient advocacy, taking that time with that lady to see her where she's at and going from there. Without good patient care, it doesn't matter how many trauma calls you run or stimmies you recognize and bring up to the cath lab. Patient care at the end of the day is the quality of care that you give as a provider, ranging from an ability to critically think all the way to showing basic empathy. Even if you don't really mean it when you say, I'm sorry you're not feeling good. We're trained for intense interventions, making critical decisions in a moment's notice, and administering medications that could help or harm if we don't remember all parts of the contraindications. We're skilled in knowing risk of certain diseases and being able to determine high-risk outcomes and situations. Yet in all of this, the core of it is the key term, trained. How many IQ points does it take to train a repetitive motion or memorize a list? You know what's hard to train? Empathy. It's hard to train someone to see themselves in another person's shoes and reciprocate emotions that portray, I'm sorry, I'm here for you. Even so, notice how a, like the word treatment and the treatment you administer for a medical issue is the same word for the treatment you give somebody in empathy in your attitude and body language. And if you're thinking, yeah, this is all why the EMS gods of protocols made a refusal form, that you can leave. We won't miss you. It takes so much more time to get a refusal than it does nine times out of 10 to just load the patient up and transport. Not only does pushing refusals make for bad patient care, but it's so risky. You cannot see what all is going on. And does every single person who calls 911 need to go? No. Do you need to risk someone losing their life because you got lazy? No. Even if you don't get a refusal, but you're being a turd about having to transport this patient, still, shame on you. Yes, there's some people who take their emergency way out of proportion, but we're not in this job to make people feel bad for calling us. We're not called to that call that may be ridiculous to you as a provider just to cast judgment. We can easily take that anger and make it a teachable moment and teach this patient in a kind and caring manner to also soothe them and inform them that what they're experiencing is not life-altering or even critical And that's a good thing because it means that they're going to be okay. On the other hand, I mean, they may realize it's not really an emergency. Maybe they're embarrassed. Whatever it may be, we're surely not helping them by giving them an attitude for having the audacity to call for help. I was once humbled during a virtual EMS conference I attended, albeit in my pajamas from my bed, and it was so nice. But one speaker was talking about this mentality of not passing ill thoughts and bad vibes on these patients. And she got on the topic of like, like a female calling for period cramps. And I'm outright and blunt and honest, and I'm pretty sassy. So I asked, how do we not get angry when we're overrun with calls and reports and ERs are already overfilled, but we have to take this patient via ambulance who doesn't need EMS, let alone doesn't even need an ER. She blew me away when she said something along the lines of, Yeah, I used to get angry at this, but then I realized how great of a life I have in my health and well-being that I'm not at the other end. What an honor it is to be the person that people turn to when they're having a bad day, and I get to be the person that provides that care. On the worst day, at their most vulnerable moment, I'm the one they trust, whether I know I can do something to treat them or not. Like, what a punch in the gut. 
And yes, I've been the one to roll my eyes at the next call based on the call notes that the dispatcher gives us, and I've let out eternal sighs on the aspect of getting off late. I get it. But still, like that lady said at that conference, what an honor to be the one that when someone calls 911, you get to show up on what may be the worst day of someone's life. You get to walk into their house and see this patient at their most vulnerable moment, literally walking into a sacred space of their home and or bedroom and rendering life-saving interventions and treatments, or simply just tell them, it's okay, we're here to help. But with all of that, and the thing I've started telling myself, it is not our place to judge them for calling 911. It makes you feel better in the moment, especially on the way to that call at 2 or 3 in the morning, and you're exhausted, and the call notes make the call seem so dumb. But it's already planting a bad seed in your perspective of this patient. And whether it's the burnout and the aspects outside of this job that affect you, but, but if you're tired of all of this, and you're treating your patients like trash, or just giving a BLS route to every patient you can, you also can go find another job. You can, in fact, be burnt out and still work in this field and give half of a care and make a difference. But if you're giving bad patient care, you better go check yourself. Again, saying this to myself as well, you have every right to be disgruntled, mad, whatever. But the moment you pull up to that call, you have to be able to turn that off, continue the call, do what you need to do. And trust me, I've had my teeth clench while smiling at a patient and pulling up Zofran in a syringe. If you've seen the movie Smile, like, it wasn't that level, but it was close because little mama was trying to make it. I, I was just trying to get through that call, but not show the patient that I was frustrated, even if I was. When we give bare minimum care, we're not going to show them for calling 911 and interrupting our day when... When you clock in, you're being paid just to exist and be ready for when the next person calls 911. Not taking a symptom or a chief complaint serious not only makes us look bad, but it's just being lazy. Part of this job, in our responsibility of being entrusted with patient care, is that we're given the task of giving the best care to anyone. Be it the president having a stroke or the homeless man who's just cold and wants to get a ride across town to a hospital, but he tells you he's dizzy and that his leg hurts. I mean, how many articles can we pull up of EMTs or paramedics charged with negligence because they got a refusal on a patient that they pick up all the time for the same issue, but that stomach ache ended up being a heart attack that killed them? Complacency kills. And it, it, it all goes back to doing a decent patient assessment, which is our job, and giving the best patient care we can for every call. And yes, it is mentally and emotionally exhausting, but these are human beings that we're trusted to take care of. And it gets exhausting to go on the same calls, even run on the same patients, deal with the same issues over and over. But it only takes one call where you get lazy and don't run a 12 lead or take the patient with a breathing problem seriously or, or stop checking on your patient or check a blood sugar or whatever. It's so quick for things to turn so south so fast. And just as quick as things can turn south, you can get ahead of that before it happens. In a positive note, it is such a win when you have those calls where the difference between this person dying in that moment versus having a chance to live is solely based on what you did and or the choices you made in your treatment and skills. And it's also those heartwarming interactions where the patient sincerely thanks you. It may be rare, but it does happen. There are even calls where all you may do is provide some peace to your patient and give them some form of calm 
in their stress situation, or maybe it's the clarity or the comfort you give to the patient's family, if that's all you can do, I think that's just as effective in helping to treat someone as if you started an IV and gave them medications. It's the easiest and cost-efficient thing that we can do, but it is so underutilized. It's the human interaction we're granted when we step into that person's life as they've called 911. It doesn't take that much to listen to that person, give a sympathetic smile, or, or even just hold Mama's hand on the way to the ER. Showing empathy costs you nothing. And I feel it. Trust me. I really love this job, even though every aspect of it may not be my favorite parts. I get tired, too. I work too much overtime. I see self-care as a waste of a chance to do something productive. I sign up for too many things outside of this job and stretch myself thin. But even as tired as I get, as much as I don't want to show up and work some mornings, I still show up and do what I need to do to get through that shift. Because it's one thing to show up to a shift when you're burnt out or you're tired or whatever else is going on in your life. And it's another to show up to that shift. There's no excuse for not doing your checkoff. There's no excuse for not trying to learn more like you know, more than just being a paramedic or being an EMT or like you should be going past just the textbook. You should be looking at what is advancing in our field. It just, there's more than just words on a textbook. There's more than just you passed national registry, you did your psychomotor skills, whatever test, and you're done. There's so much more than that. And if you're telling yourself, I know enough, just take a hard look at the patient care that you give. And if you're getting lazy and skipping steps and not trying to do more, what I heard recently that changed me is, would you want you to go save yourself on a call? And like that blows my mind. The more I think about it, it just, would I want me to come save me on a call? And if the answer is not yes, and it doesn't motivate you to do more and learn more, you can go take a back seat. We should not be in this field just to do enough. Anyways, getting back on track. Another big contributor to burnout is the trauma. And it sounds so overdone. It sounds so cliche, but that's part of this job. And if you're in this job for long enough, you get your own share. We are given a front seat into a person's life. We are given a glimpse of what may be the most private, intimate sense of security of their home. People call 911 when they're out of options. When someone calls 911, It's a distress signal, even if it is just a lift assist. Even in a call when we know we're doing everything we can, but nothing is going to help, it's not just the patients that's impacted by us showing up and trying. It's the families who hear the sirens and then see us walk through the door, and they can have at least an ounce of reassurance that someone's here to help try. The wife can stop doing compressions on her husband. The brother can take a step back from his dad. The, The parents can hand their child to someone else. The bystander can tell the person that's still in the car, hey, someone's here to help. And this, this is such an honor. But on the flip side, and I, I love to hear, I love that people have stories of meeting their sick or critical patients later down the road and getting updates of, hey, remember this patient, they're doing better now, blah, 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 blah. And I want to hear all of that, but it's hard when you drop off a patient that you, you guys have worked your butt off to save and they code at the ER But you don't know that. So when you go back in to get a signature that you dropped off the patient and you go to check on the patient, you pull the curtain back of the trauma room and you hear, all right, we've done everything. Time of death is blank. And it hurts even more that in reality, this is just part of the job. And sure, you have another state from a few shifts back, 
but that's not the one that comes to the forefront of your mind in the moment when you go to the ER bathroom and you're sweating and you have to look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, did we do everything we could have? The lives saved don't erase the sounds of screams or the smells or the feeling you get when you're checking vitals on this patient and they're deteriorating faster than you're able to push meds or how fast you're trying to set up everything you need to intubate because it's on the horizon and you, you just you know the inevitable. But we can't allow these aspects of these traumatic experiences to consume us or drown out the positive aspects of this job. It's not the entirety of what all I've mentioned that contributes to burnout for me. It's when I have a million things going on, I'm truly not taking care of myself. And maybe, more than likely, my mental health is trash that I feel burnout. And yes, I support the idea that if you're not taking care of yourself, then you, you can't take good care of patients. But that's hard. It would be so much easier to work in an office setting and not have to worry about clocking in and not being in my best mental state because, because I wouldn't have to think on the way to work, I've got to get out of my own head or I've got to push this down. Otherwise, if I can't critically think or if I'm not quick on my feet, someone could die today. So like, yeah, this job is insane sometimes and the things we're able to do independently without calling orders for most things because of our ability to operate as an extension of a doctor, this is such an honor. And to be able to have these glimpses of people at their worst and have an ability to possibly turn that around, it's humbling. Which is why, fairly recently, I've toned down the amount of storytelling I do from past calls. Storytelling, even to other people in this field, it is such a hard balance between wanting to bring up something funny that happened or when you start just swapping trauma. Humans cope with grief differently. And some, like myself, we use dark humor. And some people just shut down. Some people want to talk about it. Some want to cry. And all of that is okay. But again, these calls are hard at times. And it may be one thing that sticks out. That's not even the gruesome part of the call that sticks with you. It's the calls where you have to push down your own bias and even ethical views as you treat the drunk driver who has scrapes after a car wreck where, because they chose to be a sack of trash, They caused a car crash and killed a seven-year-old. So when you roll up on scene and go from managing the mother who keeps asking, where's my baby girl, until the second unit arrives so you can transport the drunk driver, because that drunk driver is a patient too. And sometimes it's not the entirety of the call or whether you're treating the patient in the mangled car or in the comfort of the back of the ambulance, but it's the stupid small things that, that last. And like... It's not the call that this guy who got in a car wreck, his, his pupils were blown and they're unequal and you know he's got a head trauma going on. And you know, like, your your partner's probably about to have to intubate this patient. And, you know, he like, you figure that they were just driving on the way home. It's not even all of that. It's not his brain spilling out on the stretcher that gets you. It's there were flowers in the floor of his car. Like, who who's he giving those flowers to? And it's it's those stupid flowers and then you can't go to the store without seeing those flowers and and maybe this is all just me um it, it's those little things that last and when I'm not mentally in a good place I can't take a bath because I get flashbacks of a certain call or when a patient looks you dead in the eyes and says something that sounds like they're about to die and then they try to do so so instead of being in the comfort of their own family you know that you're going to be the last person that they saw on this earth And it's not because of a lack of efforts of trying to get them back. Maybe it was just their time. The things we see, the situations we're put in, that's what's hard. 
Our education can be rigorous in the sheer amount of knowledge and skills we're put through on top of the responsibility of this person's life is in your hands and having to perform life-saving interventions even if or when you know that everything you do may or may not help at all. But you do it all regardless because you know that when you clear from that call, you have to look at yourself in the mirror after or when you're writing your report, when you go home, you have that moment when you're able to say, I did everything I could. In another aspect, it's the situations that we're put in. It's also our safety sometimes, and that's hard. And it's also the aspect of we have lives outside of this job that even on shift, we can't just turn it off. So we have all of this weight, even after those shifts where you drive home with the radio off and you're, you're Googling jobs of other places because the idea of going back to work seems that impossible after what you've just gone through. But you still get in your car for the next shift, knowing that maybe it's going to be an easy day or it could be another shift where everything's hitting the fan and there's nothing you can do about it because we sign up for this every time we clock in. But we do it not because... We need the money, not because whatever. And that's, that is a factor, but we do it because it's our job. When someone calls 911, they're sending a distress signal that they don't know what to do, even if it's not an emergency or if it is a lift assist. But when it's a life or death situation, someone dials 911 and you're dispatched to a front seat in that person's most vulnerable and terrifying experience. We go into people's homes, which may be the most sacred sense of security they have. We're given an opportunity not only to treat and assist them, but we're also given a glimpse of their life. And if that sounds redundant to what I said earlier, it's because it needs to be said again, if not for you, but for me. And like I heard a quote from one of my favorite podcasts, it's called Stories from the Road. Uh, 20 out of 10 recommend going and listen to that. I even had the honor of being on an episode, but that's not why I'm bringing this up. But Phil says on every episode in the beginning, sharing stories isn't one-upping each other, but it's finding common ground. And I'm here for story swapping with that mindset because sometimes there are things people do or say that you just can't make up. And it's necessary at times to get that off your chest. But very recently, like last shift before taking this little vacation that I went on, being off for a couple of days, I've realized the impact that storytelling has for a few reasons. Number one, this patient is someone's someone. Number two, we can tell stories as a way to learn and grow and get a feedback of what could have gone better and an outsider's perspective of what happened or ways to deal with the trauma of what happened. And I like storytelling. I like swapping calls because you're able to reflect, get insight from people outside of the call and outside of, quote, the moments on the call. You're able to reflect, grow, improve, etc. And I would even say it's necessary. But also... Even on the funny calls, even on the calls where you're asking yourself, why on earth did we just bring this patient into the ER? It's still a person. Had a pretty hard reflection after we had a call for a lady who had a cough. Literally, that's the chief complaint. That is why she called 911. We get there, we talk to her, and it turns out she's on hospice. Her daughter lives states away. Her daughter's her power of attorney, so we have to call the daughter because she makes the decisions and so on. And it turns out this lady's been calling for like the past week because she's scared. She had COVID, blah, blah, blah. Now she's dying. And understandably, like, I get that. But the the impacting moment was at the end of the conversation, the daughter said, I'm so sorry you guys keep getting called out. She's just lonely since my dad passed on and I can't be there with her. 
please, she's my mom, just have some patience with her. And I wasn't rude, I was on my best behavior, I was super nice, but man, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Did it still suck having to be called out and go there for that? Yes. But I started to see that like, these people, even Homeless Joe, who, which that's not an actual person, who calls for weakness, but everything checks out, and he's called five times in the past month for the same thing, because he's guaranteed a night inside of a building and a hot meal, that was somebody, someone. And it's hard to keep sight of that because we have so many patients, even in one shift. And we don't remember all of their names or faces, but you can still get sucked into this mindset that everyone calls 911 for any and everything. And even if you have however many patients in one shift, it really is just like a small fraction of that city or that, that culture of wherever you work. But for every patient you see that's invited into your office space in the back of an ambulance, you may be the only interaction they have with EMS. That person may never end up in the back of an ambulance again. They may never run into another paramedic ever again. You could be that positive aspect. No, it's not every call. It's not every shift. But, I mean, I've also been that person in those cringy photos that people share that kind of feed into the victim mentality where, again, it is someone crying in the back of an ambulance. I've been that person right after the call or back at the station when my partner goes inside but I tell him like hey I need a second to work on my report I'll be in in a second I I go back and I sit in the back and I just decompress and I'm not saying that you need to suck it up buttercup whatever I'm not saying that and I'm not saying we need to shove it down and like you need to get over it whatever because this is not the job I'm not saying that and I'm not saying that we can't tell stories or that people shouldn't ask us about our job I just hate seeing those photos on Facebook or on social media in general and people sharing it with the caption that says, don't judge me until you've walked a mile in my shoes or whatever. Like the way I look at it. And yes, again, I've been that part. Like I get that feeling and we need that relatability to each other in this job and we need to be vulnerable. We need to be open about what we're going through, but it may not be the call that affected you in that moment. Even some calls that affect me still to this day, they didn't, I didn't break down in that moment. I didn't even cry in the back of an ambulance. It's, it's the calls where it's like days or weeks or months later that, or maybe even years, you realize that you were even affected by that call. I would even say it's not even the, the critical incident, stress management, whatever that helps the most. It's not even the right after that helps when you talk about it with your partner or you go over that call with somebody else. It's when the noise dies down and you're minding your own business, or you're going along with the next day, pouring a bowl of cereal, when the noise and the smell and the sights, it's all over. But the silence is so deafening, and you're alone with your thoughts, and the hypotheticals have slowly made their presence known. Or again, maybe you're blindsided so much later after this call. Those are the moments when it really hits you. Is it wrong to be affected over what we deal with, like losing patients, death situations we respond to that even on the way to the call, we were wishing that we were home? No. Is it wrong to have nightmares and have the trauma over these calls and remember them so many years later, even to, like, you still see their face? No. And it's not even the initial moments of it all. It's not in the moment parts of what you smell or see or hear. It's the call after even. It's that the next patient doesn't know and that they shouldn't. And every every patient, as hard as it is to feel this way in the moment of the shift, Every patient deserves as much of our critical thinking and attention and care as the last patient who, in some cases, may have just died on us. And that's hard. 
Um, and as far as how to deal with these things, I went to a therapy session one time and I was telling the therapist about how we got called out for a cardiac arrest. And when we got there, like the guy was dead on the floor in the bathroom and the cop literally who turned out to be a family friend was just standing there not doing anything. And he wouldn't help us drag this guy out into the living room and whatever. We didn't get him back. And it's, it was those moments of holding this widowed wife and grandchild and just having to realize that like this just affected their life completely but that's not what got me it was months later like I turned on the bathroom light one morning and I, I obviously he wasn't really there but like because of where I was at mentally and all that stuff it, I saw him on the ground in my bathroom and it hit me then months later this guy looked just like my grandfather and I'm saying all of this and I'm telling therapists like I'm not crazy like why did this just happen like this was forever ago and my therapist said so you're having a normal response to a tragic event and I told him I was like but other people have gone through so many worse calls like you know this isn't the thing that's gonna break me like this is such a minor thing whatever maybe maybe it's just I'm trying to tell myself I'm not cut out for this and he told me he said but you still show up basically like the tenacity and ability to move on to the next patient and accept that this thing just happened that's what makes the difference because you still have to process these moments and instances, but the difference is you still choose to show up. And he wasn't advocating for shoving it all down, but rather it's the reality. It's the reality of this job and that these things happen. We experience these events and we go to them and we go from them. But because unfortunately we can't turn off these emotions and memories, so we may or may not be affected by these things. And some people aren't affected and that's okay. If you can operate like that, if you're able to get through this stuff and it doesn't hit you, more power to you. But from the providers who say they don't get affected by this stuff, I just can't help imagine it's not because EMS in the realm of being a first responder, even though it's it's moving past it, but it's that suck it up mentality where it's a bunch of old guys sitting at a table and they're drinking stale coffee and they're they're saying stuff like, oh, if you can't handle this type of call or they're, they're swapping stories and like, yeah, back in the good old days, but you know, these, these new young ones, they can't handle these calls. They won't make it. That's just not what this job is about. And it's so necessary that we understand that just because you're in this field, it doesn't make you immune to whatever you're going to be thrown at by the EMS gods and just go into calls in general. We're all human we have emotions and especially we have lives outside of this job that at times they do spill into the calls themselves. Like for me, I mean, it's the calls of breathing problems and allergic reactions where I can personally relate, but it's even calls outside of those that I can put myself in that patient's shoes. And it needs to be accepted in our field as much as we see and smell and hear and witness firsthand that it's okay to not be okay. We have lost too many first responders and EMS and fire and the police department to suicide. But what I feel is overlooked is the, what I like to term the process people, the ones who are here still and are fighting and struggling on a daily basis. And no, we're not heroes, but we do have an important role as a first responder. And that doesn't come without a price. Because like I've been saying, as rewarding as this job is, it also just takes a toll. And in that notion, whether it's EMS, whether it's the fire department, whether it's a police officer or even a nurse, 
don't ask that question of what's the worst thing you've ever seen. Don't ask that person to relive something that outside of being a first responder, you can't even begin to realize how hard it is to deal with this stuff as is, let alone without in a a non-work setting or not on the job, not on shift, not on duty. You're brought back into that. But if you are in this field, when you accept your position as an EMT or a paramedic, a firefighter, police officer, whatever your role is in the realm of being a first responder, or you take an oath to say whatever call comes out, I'm going to respond and give everything I can at that call. When you put on that uniform, you're signing up to take any patient, regardless of where they are or who they are, and provide care. When you drive to work that morning, it's a way of saying that no matter what happens, you're going to be the one there in the midst of it. And is it hard? Yes. But is it worth it? Yes. And it's hard to think like that sometimes because like right now, just being open and honest, I don't know if I can do this for another year. And yes, I'm going to. I'm just, I'm tired right now. And then you count up the number of hours you put into work and the amount of education required to go into this field outside of what you'll need while you're in this field. And it's overwhelming. But I read an article about the things you'll miss about EMS when you leave. And it impacted me in a way that I didn't even know I needed. And honestly, like, I think I was at home, but I read that and I sobbed so hard. But basically what it said. It's not until you hang up the radio and take the uniform off for the last time you realize what you contributed, such as the little old people. And it's not because the maladies aren't challenging and ciphering through a Walmart bag full of medications is fun. They may not even need an EMT or paramedic to save them, but the interaction of knowing that the time to be patient and gentle with them, even if you can do nothing more than provide a conversation, makes them feel a little less lonely. And it's the little young people. Pediatric calls are scary, and dealing with scared parents may be a challenge, but it's that moment of being able to gain the trust of the scared child and having the honor of being the person that the parent who feels like they're supposed to have full control But that parent turned to you in a state of helplessness and trusted you to care for this little person who is an extension of their love. That's what's rewarding. It's the times when it's the dead of night and you're not on a call, but nobody else is on the road. It's that serenity and peace outside of of whatever the night lays ahead for you. And in that, when you're riding around with that person, it's your partner. The partners who you go through things that both of you can only laugh about or times when they're sitting next to you as you both try to grasp a way to make sense of the last call because you can't understand why people die and why some people live. Those conversations you have that really you can't have with just anyone. You'll share moments on and off calls that build this bond as you both sit six feet from each other for hours on shifts and go out into the elements. You both go through triumphs and victories and then losses that are just beyond your ability. And it's a weird relationship because you'll confide in each other and laugh together, but nobody else will ever see you in that raw place who can point to the blood on your uniform that hasn't dried yet. And the sights and smells, you're already wondering, how am I ever going to forget this? And you'll give them your left kidney, but God forbid they ever borrow your pen because you're you're not going to get it back. And mostly, it's the satisfaction. Because we sign up for this job to, in one way or another, make a difference. Whether this job is a stepping stone or you plan to make a career out of it entirely. You wanted to help people. You wanted to do something that matters because maybe in one way or another, you want to matter. Maybe you lost sight of this fact or that you accomplished your objective while in the soup and now it just feels like you clock in and clock out and that people live and people die. 
but you're just doing your job and have no control over the large end result the universe has already plotted for this patient. But to the people whose lives sometimes depend on you or the ones who you were there for, you have accomplished far more. And it won't be until you hang up the radio, peel off that uniform, and finally put your feet up and had a chance to reflect that you'll realize your contributions, that while you were too busy to realize just how important your contributions and efforts of trying were, somebody, whether it's your partner, a patient, or even a bystander, someone else was not too busy to notice. In whatever way it does, even if you have a life outside of it, EMS still finds a way to weave itself into who you are. So whether I needed this episode because I'm tired and slash or I take my job for granted, whether this helps someone, I'm not sure the latter will ever even happen. But this is my take on what burnout is, what it means, and in that last article, like just how we can combat it. Even if I don't give any tips or tricks, even if I don't tell you anything that inspires you, just knowing that it happens to everybody and maybe you're burnt out. Or maybe you need to hear someone else say, yeah, I'm feeling burnt out, but we're in this together. And it doesn't mean that you have to quit your job. It doesn't mean that you have to find another field. It doesn't mean you have to find another job. It happens. But being able to recognize it and being able to say, I need to do something about it, makes the difference between just going through the motions, just going through, this is this is where I'm at, and this is where I'm going to stay, versus I can get through this and I can be better because of it. But with that, so guys, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, future topic ideas, please email me at 22 at the lips podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's 22 at the lips podcast at gmail.com. Thanks. Never stop learning and be safe out there, friends.